Um, now let's, let's take time and, and look at, at God's Word for us today. Um, we're in this series that I'm calling the Red Letters of John. And so we're focusing in on particularly the words that are recorded that Jesus said. We're also looking at the way Jesus lived, what he did. And, and all of that, what that gives us is a picture of, of who God really is who we really are also is tied to that. What the world is about is all tied to the words of Jesus. Last time I was with you uh, preaching, um, we, uh, well, Katie, after that, actually finished up the conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And, you know, Nicodemus was a very learned man, a very religious, a very zealous man. He's, he's the, the guy that is in church every time the doors are open. And a leader, in fact, a political leader, religious leader, a scholar. And the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus, we will see, is very different than the conversation he now has with this woman. The conversation ends with Nicodemus, and I think Jesus is a bit frustrated. Nicodemus doesn't quite get it, but, but he is, to a degree, being willing to be stretched. And all it takes is that little bit of willingness to be teachable. Then we see John the Baptist shows up, but those are all words in black, so we're skipping that part. But it's not a coincidence that, that Jesus talks about being born anew with Nicodemus, and then you have the sign of that in baptism, and then we get to John 4. This is, I think, a mount, like the Mount Everest, perhaps, of the story of Scripture. It's one of those mountain peaks, and just like climbing a mountain, it's going to take time to get there, and we're going to take our time. But John 4, I'm excited to explore this passage, this whole chapter with you, because it is one of those mountain peaks of Scripture. So let's look at this together. John chapter 4, uh, we'll begin in verse 7 and go through 15. Uh, Jesus encounters this woman at a well. Verse eight, Verse 7, a woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For in those days, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink. And I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock, and passed it down to us? Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to endless life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty and won't ever have to come back to this well again. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Jesus, I pray through your power, Holy Spirit, that you would calm us now, that you would calm me, that you would take away any fear, any anxiety, that you would enable us, just briefly, to be transfigured together on this Transfiguration Sunday and to see you, Jesus, through the veil in all of your glory, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter why we're here, I pray we would experience together right now a mystical, life-giving experience. In Jesus' name, amen. I, um, I knew this, this woman once who um, had a, a tragic story and was kind of a tragic figure herself. Um, and it was this story that began, the tragedy began in her upbringing as um, her parents wouldn't pay her attention. There was a lot of dysfunction in the home. It was even worse than just absentee parents. Uh, there could have been abuse. Uh, and it set the stage for this woman's narrative from that point forward. And this is how her story would go. It would be the articulation and the living out of this thirst for connection. She was so, so thirsty for connection, longing to have the connection that she didn't have in her home growing up, longing to have some sort of connection, even though she is somewhat of a misfit and felt um, different, felt like an outcast. And so that's the story of this person's life as she would go from group to group, just so thirsty, looking for connection from church to church, starving, thirsty for, for this type of connection that she never really experienced. And one time, uh, you know, that, that would be a common refrain as we would get together, and I, I can relate to a lot of that, and so I really uh, was empathetic. And she gave me this book, and it was, it's a children's book, and it was a story of this, uh, uh, this character, this kind of misfit, outcast type of character who uh, finally found connection, even, even though this character was a misfit. And, and I, she handed this book, and, I, and it was a children's book, so I just read it right there in, in front of her. It didn't take long. It's a beautiful book. And, and I got to the end, and, and she said, see, this is the connection I've always longed for. And I said to my friend, this book actually isn't about connection. This book is about acceptance, you will never feel connected to anyone else unless you first accept yourself for who you really are. You see, I, I'm, Alex, thank you for saying what you said. Those, are, those words are ministered to me, and we are certainly trying to cultivate this sense of belonging, but sometimes the scars in our stories are so deep and so wounding no matter how belonging that community you're in might feel, you will never feel like you belong because you haven't first accepted yourself. And that was, I think, the story of this friend. 
You'll never find connection with anyone else as you truly are until you first truly accept yourself as you are. And then, oh my, the connection can really begin. Um, as, as we're going through, John, I'm asking this question each time we're together. We're, we're imagining if Jesus were to walk through the doors and stand up here and we were to ask Jesus, like according to the passage we're in, Jesus, what's the good news? That's what gospel means. It just means good news. It's an announcement. Um, the best news doesn't involve you doing anything. And, and that's what gospel um, literally means. It means to herald, to announce something that has happened to you that is good. And so Jesus, what is the good news according to this passage? And here it is. God knows you, God sees you as you really are, not who you're pretending to be. And guess what? God accepts you. Even more, God loves you. All the parts of you, if those parts make up you, God accepts them and loves them because they make up you and God loves you. Friends, that is the good news. That's the living water that Jesus gives to this woman at this well. And if, as I was saying this morning at the prison, if you know nothing else about the Bible, this is one of those passages, or nothing else about God or the gospel, this is one of those passages that can tell you all you need to know. Jesus has come to give us this living water, but you and I have to actually drink it. We have to receive it and drink it in. Okay, where do we find it? Like, let's, like this woman, Jesus, where do I go to get this living water? Here's the main teaching today. The living water is actually already within. Where do you go to find the living water? Right here, in yourself. The living water is within, not out there. It's actually not in that community that you so long to be accepted in or connected to. It's right here, right now. All right, so um, let me explain this. I think this is what Jesus is telling us, so let me try to unpack this. Here's the scene. Jesus is, um, like any human being after a long journey, is tired He's in need of a basic human need, water. Now, he and his disciples are on this journey headed toward Judea. Normally, I mean, if you just follow, like, as the crow flies, you would go through Samaria. Right before this, we, we see that Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why does it say it like that? Well, because, um, not just because geographically it was the next location, but because Jews were used to going around Samaria to get to Judea. They would go out of their way. They would detour because the Samaritans were, um, in their minds, they had, like, the, in this day and age, re- the religious people had a, a long list of people they excluded. Um, but these people, the Jews, were the worst of the outcasts. They hated them. And so to show that, you know, they would not cross the railroad track right there to get to the, the bad people on the other side. They would go all the way around. And here's Jesus. And remember, if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. 
Jesus goes, he had to go straight through Samaria because he has to meet with this woman at this well to give the world the message, the news that will in fact save us all. So Jesus walks up to this well. It's midday. We read right before this. Um, what you know about that, that's an important uh, f- uh, f- nugget that, that John gives us for this reason. If you were to go draw water, and this is an arid place, uh, there was hardly any flowing water, any streams or rivers. You had well water, and you had, they were hard to get too hard to, they, they weren't, they were spread out, all, not, they were kind of uh, far away from each other. So if you wanted to come get the water for your village, this is the only way to do it. And as a woman, typically it was women that would have this chore in this day and age. If you wanted to go get that water, you would, would not go during the hottest part of the day. You would go either in the morning or in, toward the evening. Midday, the hottest part of the day in this desert, would be the only time people would come who were trying to hide from the other women. <laughs> this, is, this is the only time of day you would come because no one else would. And so we know something right off the bat about this Samaritan woman. She doesn't have a good reputation in the village. Uh, She comes at midday, and this is exactly when she finds Jesus right there with her. Now, so it's just Jesus and this woman. Something else to know about the the custom of this day, Jewish men uh, were forbidden to be seen in public with women, particularly to be alone with a woman much less say anything to them. They also could not talk to women. And then when you, as we'll get to know this, this Samaritan woman, it, get, it's the, it keeps getting ramped up, uh, the scandal of this. As not only is this a woman that Jesus is not supposed to talk to or be alone with for his own reputation, but it's a Samaritan woman, and it's a Samaritan woman who has a really bad reputation in the village. So to be seen with her would be scandalous indeed. Um, and here's Jesus alone with her. Uh, Jane, this morning, I won't ask you to, to say, I'm going to try to, to tell it myself, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but at the prison, I, I didn't ask, I didn't tell Jane I was going to ask her to do this, but she told me the story once, and I said, Jane, can you tell that story about the Billy Graham rule and what happened to you? And so she stood up and she told the story. One time, here's the story. Um, so the Billy Graham rule is, I learned this through Jane, who used to work for um, uh, the Cove, and um, was kind of in that world. And, and the Billy Graham rule is this rule that states, if you're a part of the Billy Graham Association, you're not supposed to ever be alone with a woman if you're a man. Because it could be scandalous. It could, um, it could ruin your reputation. And so Jane has this story of, one time in the winter here in Asheville, uh, snowstorm, she gets stranded, her car is stranded, and she's at a wedding, and she needs a ride home. And there's this guy, Jane said she was in her 70s, this guy is in his 40s, and Jane's, Jane, Jane thinks, well, maybe he can give me a ride home. And so she walks up to him and asks for a ride, and the man says, Jane, you know I can't take you home. I can't be alone with a woman. It's against the rules. And Jane's thinking to herself, young man, I'm 70 years old. You're how old? 40? Um, (laughs) Sure enough, no, not going to do it. Just not going to do it. Okay, I say that to say this. 
Jesus doesn't follow the Billy Graham rule clearly here at this well with this woman. Jesus is never concerned about his reputation if it means helping someone else out. We see him all the time talking to women precisely knowing that this is probably going to ruin his reputation. But people matter more than principles, don't they? Or our principles are all out of whack. So here's the scene. Here's Jesus. First thing I want to look at, the first red letter in verse 10, or or a group of red letters, is this phrase, the gift of God. So Jesus tells this woman, um, mentions this, this expression, the gift of God. Okay, what is that? I think we need to understand what that is. So you have the scene, Jesus in this scandalous situation, talking to this woman, and all he cares about is expressing and giving living water to this woman. So the gift of God would have been a stock phrase in the Old Testament for the law. Okay, now, now for you Bible scholars, this is where you sharpen your pencils, okay? You'll, you'll enjoy this part. In the Old Testament, that would have been uh, synonymous with the law or the Torah, or the instruction of God, the commands, those were known as the gift of God, the gifts of God. Now, in the New Testament, something, a shift occurs. And this same um, expression, the gift of God, begins to refer to the Holy Spirit. And if you know the, the story of Scripture, you know that with Jesus comes the Holy Spirit who dwells within This is what's going on here. Jesus himself, this is a part of the good news of the gospel, is the law made flesh. Here's the good news. That law is love. It's embodied in a person. The law of God takes on flesh and becomes the gift for the whole world in his outpouring for the world. So he's saying to this woman, if, if you just knew that, that who's standing before you, this is the law made flesh. They're going to have kind of a theological conversation, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks. This is all really we need to know. The law that we're trying to follow has taken on flesh. And guess what? This Jesus of Nazareth completed and fulfilled all of those commands for us. It's the good news of the gospel, just just a part of it. So Jesus comes, as Paul will say, as the last Adam, redeeming what the first Adam failed to do. What's important about this Adam language? It's just language of representation. So this is what Paul, this is how he'll put it in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die... Also in Christ, all shall be made alive. And then later in that that chapter, he'll say, thus it is written, that is the Apostle Paul says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Okay, what does this language mean? Once again, think of the law embodied in Jesus fulfilled in Jesus and given. That is the redemption that comes with it. All that um, Adam failed to do is now given to all in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one that makes this happen. The gift is the law made flesh. 
that is the gift of God, the law made flesh, now joins our flesh and becomes one with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that, that may sound like woo-woo language to you. I'm just trying to articulate what the Bible is saying here and teaching. It's our job to kind of wrestle with it. But this is why Jesus at this well is a gift. And he also comes to give us a spirit. Where does the spirit dwell? Within. Which gets us to our last point. Let's look at this living water. Um, what is that? What is the living water that Jesus is talking about? Well, on the surface, this woman would have first thought, well, he's talking about flowing water, like a stream or a river, which again is, is hard to come by in an arid you know, location like, like Samaria. And so that's, that's the, again, the import of the well. And so she thinks Jesus is saying that he has somehow access to a, a living, uh, to a flowing fresh water stream. And so she's thinking, where are you going to get this? You don't even have a bucket to, to get water out of this well. What are you talking about? And so that in and of itself, in this arid you know, desert location, a, a, a stream would have been miraculous, really, all, all to its own. And Jesus, it's really fascinating. Jesus doesn't mean, like he's using that metaphor to talk about something deeper. But this is what he'll do all the time. Is he'll, he'll, he'll bring up something ordinary and turn it into something miraculous. And I think we're meant to look at that ordinary thing and think that that thing itself is a miracle. But now Jesus is going to make this ordinary thing even deeper as he begins to talk about this double meaning of living water. It doesn't just mean a fresh flowing stream. It means something even better than that. So verse 14 is the key. This living water that Jesus has, John says, it leads to everlasting life. It isn't life itself, but it leads to life. Okay, so let's try to stay with Jesus' thought here. Jesus is the law made flesh, reveals that law to be love, as Jesus will make very clear, love of God and love of neighbor as you love yourself fulfills the whole law. That's how you follow Jesus. And then his Holy Spirit is poured out into us. So how I'm articulating that living water, once again, is this good news gospel. The living water that gives life is unconditional acceptance and love for you. As you are, whoever you are right now. He's saying to this woman, um, and, and he'll explore this with her later. The, the, the gospel will just dig in deeper as Jesus will later reveal he really knows her story. And he will still reiterate, hey, good news, you belong. You belong because God's love is unconditional and God accepts you as you are, whoever you are right now. This, I, I'm, I'm saying, is the, the teaching, the, the law of Jesus that he's now giving to this woman. That if you believe, will well up within you endless life. But again, the key is believing this. Romans 8, 16, Paul says, the Holy Spirit bears witness. Here's the job of the Holy Spirit. Bears witness with our spirit in our bodies that we are children of God. That still small voice, the, the advocate, the counselor, it's the Holy Spirit trying to convince you this is really true. Right now, trying to convince you this is actually true. It's actually true. Listen. 
This is Jesus' revelation, Jesus' teaching, the teaching of the law made flesh that gives us life. Okay, so where do we go to drink it? We don't have to go to some well in Samaria. We don't have to go anywhere, actually. It's right here. We go to the Spirit who is within to take a drink. What does that mean? It simply means this. Trusting in Christ. Trusting in Christ is how we take a drink. Trusting that God knows you, he sees you, he knows you, and he accepts you unconditionally and loves you. Telling yourself that, trusting that that is actually true, is how you take a drink from this living water. I want, I want you to see this, how, how it wells up. If you do that, it wells up within you. Look, look again at verses 13 and 14. This is, this is very intentional language um, that, that, that for me is just jumping off the page more and more. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water, that is the water at the well, will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. Here it is. The water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to endless life. He says it again later in John 7, as we heard in the assurance of pardon. This is what that means. When you trust that that is true, when you trust that that's really true and and accept yourself, as Richard Ward says, the core essential to faith is accepting that you are accepted. When you do that, you lack nothing. There's nothing else you need. That's the life (laughs) that quenches your thirst in a way that this water at a well never will. When we find this water, which, surprise, is within, we realize where we have to go to drink it. It's right here. And that, in that moment, you realize, well, well if, it's, if I've got all I need right here, I, I don't need anything else. I lack nothing. That's why Alex read Isaiah 55.1. Then did you hear what he said? Come buy this water. Guess what? It's free. (laughs) Come buy this water. It's without cost. How do you buy water that is free? Well, you just simply take a drink. It's just laid out for you. Well, um, this uh, Thursday, our small group that has been, uh, that we host um, at our house uh, on the second, fourth Thursday, the Evening, um, we are finally finishing an odyssey in Richard Rohr's Falling Upward. It's been a journey that we've been on. We're in the last chapter. So if you're in our small group this Thursday, 630, uh, we're going to discuss, we're finally going to finish the book. We're going to end that journey. Um, but, but this is, by the way, this is a journey I hope to be taking people on all the time as I'm doing it again with individuals. I might stick to individuals more, but, but our, our small group will finish that book. And, um, and in that book that is, I think is so transformative, Richard War says this. He says, heaven or union or love now emerge from within us. It's not over there. You know, Jesus will tell the Pharisees, um, and later on, in, well, we're in Luke, he'll say, if you're, don't, the kingdom is not something you can observe, as in it's over there or over here. The kingdom of God is what? Within you. Heaven 
union, love now emerge from within us much more than from a mere belief system. When Rohr says that, think more than, a, let's say, a community that's based on thinking the right way. <laughs> much more than that belief system. Or even better than any, any belonging system which largely remains on the outside of self. Better than all that is finding what you need actually first right here. Heaven, love, God. Then you, you belong in any room at that point, anywhere. So we're back to this woman that I began with. You just, you won't ever feel you're accepted by any community, no matter how beautiful that community is, unless you first accept yourself. You won't find the living water out there in that community because it's right here. Now, this is what we're going to do as a community. We're going to tell you where to go to get it. We're going to encourage you that you really do belong, that that little voice that you're hearing is really true. You really are accepted unconditionally and loved. But it's going to be ultimately up to you to take a drink. Our divine image. Start there. Um, unlike Nicodemus in verse 15, where our passage today ends, uh, you know, Nicodemus, Nicodemus says that conversation ends with Jesus. Jesus is kind of frustrated. Uh, we don't yet know exactly how Nicodemus took it. We know clearly what's going on with this woman. Even though she still doesn't fully grasp what Jesus is offering, she says, give me this water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, all of it. Give it to me. Maybe this is why Jesus actually begins by asking her a question. You know, Jesus begins a lot of times the conversation by first asking us a question. And his question, give me, will you give me a drink? Maybe he asked her because she actually has this living water already. And surprise, the village had no idea. (laughs) Right? This will be the surprise. This woman will go back to the village with the living water that no one thought she had. Richard War says, love and water seek not the higher place with Nicodemus or the religious person, but always the lower. Love and water flows down, not up, ever. So this woman gets it. She gets it. And I'm encouraging us. Maybe we don't fully grasp all this, but let's just start by saying, Jesus, give me this, give me this living water. <laughs> give me this living water. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to believe this, to to even now, to take a drink. Help us to believe that you accept and that you love us right now as we are. In Jesus' name, amen.